Hi there, I'm Craig Merriman, and welcome to another episode of Focus on the Patient podcast. We are excited for today's episode as it kicks off our first mini-series. This will be week one of four, highlighting West Cancer Clinic in Memphis, Tennessee. For the next four weeks, we will get an in-depth look at what West is doing to help the cancer community. In this episode, our guest is Carla Baker. Listen in on how Carla describes being a healthcare advocate for cancer disparities and her experience being an advocate, a patient, and a caregiver. We are excited to bring you this mini-series highlighting West Cancer Clinic. Thanks for listening. Please enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Focus on the Patient podcast, where we explore standards of excellence in healthcare, particularly focused in the cancer setting. Today's recording is part of the mini-series, Addressing Breast Cancer Disparities in Memphis, Tennessee. Now with me today, we have Carla Baker, who is one of the most prominent healthcare advocates I think I've ever had the pleasure of working with. So welcome, Carla, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. So before we begin, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm a registered nurse. Uh, My life desire always was to be uh, a nurse. It was just something about healthcare. I just wanted to be a part of it. I was impressed by a lady at, at our church that was a community health nurse. And um, she actually came to our home back during that time and gave me my childhood shots. And she was so good and so kind. So I knew that is what I wanted uh, to be. And so, uh, you know, I was always trying to help people in the community as a child. And then, um, you know, when I finished high school, you know, it was like, okay, I'm I'm going into the, uh, the medical field. And I actually started out as a a nursing assistant, went back to school to be an LPN, and then went back for my RN and then uh, additional training. And I just love uh, helping people. And uh, um, I have worked, uh, I worked in the hospital for a number of years, uh, emergency room, ICU, uh, helped start the first skilled nursing facility that was hospital-based within Memphis and Shelby County, uh, also helped to um, with primary care practices. I love quality assurance and quality improvement. So when the patient-centered medical home efforts began, I actually helped coach uh, the first practice in Memphis to become a level three patient-centered medical home. So that was so exciting for me. And then um, how I got into the breast cancer arena, uh, my sister, Linda, uh, was diagnosed with uh, uh, breast cancer. And so um, not a lot of resources available at the time that she was diagnosed. So that made me, you know, really look and try to find ahead to really put some things together. I am also a cancer uh, survivor uh, myself. So, um, uh, you know, I know and understand what people need. And I know about uh, kind of both sides being the cancer patient and the caregiver. So um, I I just believe in helping people to find or locate what they need, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, just a hug, emotional support, uh, financial resources, whatever, you know, they should not uh, go through that journey alone. There's somebody out there 
who has the answer and can help. That's why I just call myself an overall healthcare advocate. I'm going to try to find that resource if it's out there. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I know when we had talked kind of before the podcast and I said, well, gosh, Miss Carla, like how, how do I actually think of a title for you? And you said healthcare advocate, and I'll just add the, the, the suffix extraordinaire, because I think that your, um, you know, your, your background of being able to be a patient, be a caregiver, be a nurse, understand how to navigate, uh, be a helping hand and, and understanding, um, you know, the broader spectrum of not what, not only what it takes for, for patient centered care, but how that broader ecosystem and, but, and community in the, in the Memphis Shelby County area really can come together and, and being able to kind of roll up your sleeves and get into the work to make that happen. is just, it's just phenomenal, Carla. So, so excited to have you on the, on the show today. Thank you. Um, so we have just a few topics, and I think that one of the you know pieces that we wanted to offer, and, and this mini series is is um, is is really talking about and sponsored through West Cancer Clinic, but talking uh, specifically around breast cancer disparities in Memphis. And I would like, and you you alluded to it a little bit, but would love to understand kind of your perspective of how do we get to where we are right now? What is, you know, what is the problem statement as defined in terms of breast cancer disparities in Memphis? And, and where do you see, you know, opportunities to really start reshaping what that means in, in the local community? Okay. Let me start by sharing just a little history. Uh, we're so grateful to uh, the Avon Crusade who did a study back uh, between 2014 and 2016 that really looked at breast cancer all across the United States. And unfortunately, when they looked at the Memphis and Shelby County area, we were number one out of 50 major cities where African-American women were dying at two times the rate of Caucasian women. And when they presented that information to the Memphis community, you know, there were some uh, individuals that said, okay, now that we've got the information, what are we going to do with it? So it kind of created a call to action that we've got to do something. So first, it just started out with about eight groups talking and then actually developed into a group of 38 organizations coming together, collaborating, um, you know, saying, you know, we can do so much more if we all work together. You know, everybody understands collective impact now. You know, you can do so much when everybody takes what they have and and, and put it together. So these 38 organizations, you know, uh, anywhere from you had uh, your your big hospital systems, you had your insurance providers, you had your support groups. Um, I mean, we just had uh, suppliers of different uh, medical devices. You know, you name it, we had it. If they impacted the patient any kind of way, uh, large and small, we all came together to work on the on the problem together. And over the years from 2016 uh, to 2020, which when the last data uh, was obtained, Memphis had moved from that number one to number seven out of 50. Wow. We still have a long way to go, but that was a significant finding in able to move, you know, move that needle. We did a lot of work first around identifying, you know, well, what's causing so many incidents and deaths in Memphis? 
And so we began to look at it. You know, you've got to pull out that data. Uh, data is so important. And so we looked at uh, initially where the greatest zip codes that the greatest amount of deaths and incidents were occurring. And then we worked with our local uh, health department and also our Tennessee Department of Health. They were part of our group. And what we identified was um, the same areas that had the highest incidents and mortalities were also the areas where there were not located uh, necessarily uh, mammogram centers where it was easy access for women to get the screenings for mammograms and that there were higher poverty in some of those areas. And unfortunately, what we identified also was there were major transportation issues in that area. And when I say this, um, when we began to work to resolve some of our problems, uh, we had one incident where a lady who we had managed to get a, a mammogram scheduled, but she would have to ride three buses in order to get to the mammogram center. So one thing that we did to alleviate that is uh, a number of our major hospital systems had, um, had mammogram bands. So we began to bring those bands to those underserved areas and were able to increase the number of women uh, getting mammograms. What we also included in most states around the country, uh, there is a breast and cervical screening program through uh, the federal government. Well, we worked with them because there were so many women because of poverty who could not afford a mammogram. So uh, we were able to get services paid through them and also through our Coleman uh, group that was here in the Memphis area. So we had to find uh, the machinery or the testing to come to the communities and also find the funding uh, for individuals. The other thing, the other great battle here in, in Memphis, and I'm sure it's across the country, there were a lot of myths about what breast cancer is and was, what the treatment is, uh, just a lot of uh, stigma. And so we had to do a lot of workshops in a lot of areas. And you've got to take the training to the community and to the people. You can't, um, you know, it's good to go to the nice hotels and all of that to have workshops and seminars, but you've got to get out to the community centers. You've got to get out to the churches. And we were very fortunate. Uh, one of the um, pharmacy chains that's here in our city is called Walgreens, and they're spread out quite a bit. And they were real good about letting us actually come and set up tables on their parking lot, and give out, you know, information. And things like that, partnering uh, with businesses in the community helped us to spread the word. You've got to spread the word and give both men and women the opportunity to ask questions because you have certain myths that the women feed into, but you would be surprised how many myths men have to deal with. So many men it has been implanted into their mind that if a woman has a mammogram, uh, not a mammogram, has a mastectomy, 
and loses her breast, she's no longer the woman that she used to be. And so we had to dispel that a lot and help them to understand that she's still the woman that she has always been and, you know, and how to love her and how to take care of her. So it was work not only on the health care, but also on the uh, the mental and the spiritual uh you know, it's, it's about whole body, mind and soul when you start working, um, you know, a lot of time with the uh, with the breast cancer, um, people that have been impacted uh, by, uh, by by breast cancer. And uh, um, uh, I know in many communities all across the, uh, the United States, uh, you have to be diverse. So um, in, in, in Memphis, we're a very diverse communities. So as part of our our 38 working group, we had people from the, you know, the Hispanic community, from the uh, uh, from the Asian American, from the Somalian. I mean, it's just um, anybody that was willing to listen and work uh, with us, uh, every, every religion pretty much in the city, we kind of had them part on one level or, or the other. And uh, just really, it's like, help us understand how to best serve uh the people that you work with. And it has been, you know, extremely beneficial. And also on the community level, what we had to do was work with the medical community because, you know, sometimes in explaining cancer to a patient, it's not that it becomes routine how you present it, but you have to be very careful because the one thing many of our patients told us or or the people we work with told us is the minute somebody said you have breast cancer, they don't remember anything else that was told to them that day. They say the only thing that they heard was wah, 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 wah. It's right? just, they don't really remember anything else. So we actually did seminars with the uh, healthcare providers to say, okay, you got to work on your presentation. You've got to, if you're going to deliver the news, you know, let's have them uh, bring somebody with them, find out where they were. Uh, In one seminar, we actually had a person that said they were driving and the provider called and they told them why they were driving and they were involved in an accident. Oh, my goodness. You know, and it was like, oh, my goodness. Why would anybody? It's like, where are you? Are you safe? You know, right. So we had to do some work with our health care pro- providers. Now, should that person have known better not to do that? Yes, they should. But they didn't. And uh, thank goodness the person, you know, is OK. Yeah. But uh, we did work on delivery uh, with health care providers. So uh, we've attacked it from the patient side, the caregiver side and the provider side. And it's just been a, you know, really a win-win in uh, just, um, I mean, learning where those resources are, you know, that uh, so many people, they need the help, but they don't know where to go and find it. And so with our 38 member organization that we had, uh, somebody always knew where, whatever we needed, somebody knew where to find it somewhere across the country. And it's like, well, this person will be a better fit or work here. It's like, okay, no, this insurance provider doesn't cover that, but this one does. Or this pharmaceutical company, 
that's the drug that they have and they have a drug plan and this is how you get into it. So that's why collaboration is so important. So you're pulling on the knowledge and the brain of a whole lot of people. And that's just a win-win all the way, uh, all the way uh, around. And uh, one thing that we had that was so strong and uh, I, I just believe in working with uh, is, is, is your doctors and your, your nurse practitioners, those medical providers, because you hear so much, uh, I'm going to say false information sometimes on the TV, radio, and, you know, as everybody said, well, you need to Google that. Well, you know, sometimes when you Google that, that's not a good thing. You know, you can get good and bad information. So it's always good to be connected with a good organization. And with the organizations that I work with, we had a medical advisory panel, which was comprised of the top medical uh, surgeons, oncologists, and primary care physicians within the city of Memphis. And so anytime some new research or something came out, we would bounce this information off and they would vet it for us. And then we would immediately get back to the um, uh, to the member organizations and the survivors to let them know, well, no, this is not proven. This is just something that's out there. I never will forget. It was so funny. One night, my phone started ringing off the hook. I started getting all these calls and they were saying, well, what about this hair dye? I dye, I dye my hair. And they said, hair dye causes breast cancer. Do I need to start stripping the dye out of my hair? I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Let me let me Google this <laughs> and find out what's going on. So I this is nine, almost nine or 10 o'clock at night. And I saw it and I don't know. So I, I sent the information, I sent the information over to um uh to Dr. Vidal at, at West, and I think it was Dr. Pritchard at UT who's on was on our advisory board. I'm like, look, is there any validity to this stuff? And then, you know, of course, they sent me back and said, well, you know, it's still being checked out. Tell everybody, don't panic, stripping the dye out of their hair yet, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. And, then, and the good part was when COVID came along and they started getting the vaccines and people start talking about the, um, you know, the uh, on the mammogram that it was picking up, you know, people were having uh, lymph node enlargement and stuff like that. Again, you know, I started getting calls. I sent it over to the medical advisory board and I'm like, okay, what do we need to tell everybody? Right. And this call, you know, and this information may have come to me, like I said, between eight and 10 that night. Well, I started getting these exchange. All the doctors are back and forth. And by six o'clock that next morning, we were able to send out an advisory here in the city of Memphis from our medical advisory board saying, this is the national recommendation. This is wow. what you're going to see and that they're recommending that, you know, that you wait, you know, four to six weeks after uh, your ma- after your shot to get it. And then preferably on the opposite side that you got your, uh, you know, COVID injection. And I'm like, you know, that's just a win win, you know, but here you, you got these medical professionals that you know have got to be up early that next morning, but they're going back and forth dialogue and then delivering something to me that I can immediately get out to the people here in the city of Memphis. So that was just exciting. That's 
Absolutely remarkable, Carla. And I, I mean, gosh, there was so much packed in there, but I just want to kind of highlight the fact that, you know, we, we talk about uh, tumor boards and we talk about the ability for, you know, uh, let's say, you know, physicians and medical practitioners to really uh, go deep in, into an individual patient's case. But there's also this, this aspect that you had highlighted around bringing together multiple different types of organizations and players who are integral in part of patient-centered care and ensuring that there are vehicles for mass distribution within a, within a local community, that there's that alignment and that pull from um, the churches, from uh, the synagogues, from uh, the mental, the mental, emotional, spiritual, housing, employment-related aspects of what is associated with a cancer diagnosis. And the ability to um, essentially do a lot of the stage crew and the, the hard work on the back end can help to serve all of the individuals within a given community who are, you know, experiencing, about to experience, may experience uh, what is, a, in this case, a breast cancer diagnosis, and knowing that they are well supported with a network within their community to help provide relevant evidence-based information, gain perspectives quickly, disseminate information, but also be very sensitive to the individual's needs. And I, and I just, I really commend Memphis as just being such, um, such an example of what other communities um, can do, particularly in diverse communities as well. Yes, 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 um, yes. My next topic was community engagement, but man, I think, I think you... <laughs> I think you highlighted that perfectly well. Was there anything else that you wanted to to share though? I mean, you, 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 you know, you alluded to churches, but I think particularly knowing um, the integral component of, of, of churches within the community, within just the broader kind of Memphis and Shelby counties. Um, do you, would you like to highlight anything else around that partnership, particularly with churches? Yeah, and when I and, and when I say churches, I mean the whole faith-based community, you know, and yep. spectrum or of religious, you know, organizations. Um, uh, again, when we all work together it makes all the difference, you know, in the world. And even in this time of, uh, of COVID, when people could not uh, leave homes and get out and really enjoy their faith-based services, you know, thank goodness for the, um, you know, digital media so information can get out. And so many churches, uh, not only did their, you know, uh, re religious services, but they continued their health ministries, making sure that people were kept up to date on, uh, you know, what was going on, you know, uh, with with COVID, you know, with the flu, uh, with food pantries, because how they stepped up was, you know, uh, you know, doing doing COVID. Sometimes I don't know how it was in other parts of the country. But the grocery stores were a little empty or people were off work. So the faith-based community had to step up even more to make sure that people, you know, had food, had shelter. And many of the churches were the sites that the food banks used to help get the food out because the churches are located within the communities. 
and people could get to their, um, you know, their local church, uh, you know, and get the and get the food. So uh, that was very important. And uh, it was still a good way of disseminating information because not only could they pass out the food, but they also could share all types of healthful uh, health care uh, uh, literature, uh, whether it be written or to give people something that said, look at this website here uh, or tune into this Zoom event here. Uh, you know, that made all the difference in the world. Um, it's related to uh, community engagements a little bit as well. Uh, on the breast cancer side, because of a lot of fear as related to COVID, many people did not do preventive care, not only with breast cancer, but with all diseases. And so I encourage everybody, uh, you know, there are recommended preventive uh, screenings for men, women, and children. And if you are behind or members of your family are behind in those preventive screenings, there are safety protocols in place at every medical center. Please go in and get your various screenings because what I am somewhat afraid of is that as this pandemic clears, many diseases are going to be worse or they're going to find a lot of severe cases, late stage cases that probably could have been prevented if they had been caught early on preventive screening. So please get your uh, preventive screening uh, done. Absolutely. No, that makes, that makes complete sense. Um, and, um, you know, one of the pieces that we wanted to highlight too, was just this notion of, of care pathways. So there's this ability of, you know, that, um, let's say that group that you were able to pull together with the, the, the 38 members, et cetera, to really help with the screening. Um, but recognizing that, you know, for an unlike, un, uh, unfortunate few, um, those who get screening actually need to come back for a diagnostic screening and perhaps even uh, get diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the role of care pathways and the ability to ensure the timeliness dissemination of, of information that can help uh, support a patient through education, through services, and through connection to help them as they embark on, let's say, in this case, a breast cancer diagnosis? Absolutely. It, I mean, it is so crucial when you have a set plan in place. It's just like if you decide you want to get in your car and you say something everybody does. Okay, I want to go shopping for this particular dress for this particular event. You know kind of where you want to go, but you're not exactly sure, okay, what do I want to wear? Sometimes you need a little help and guidance. So you need somebody with some, you know, experience. You've all, you've all gone shopping before and it's and you get there and it's like, well, I thought I knew what I want, but I don't. Well, when you have uh, a care pathway, and you enter into, uh, say, a medical system, they have already began to plot out and they have investigated what is the best 
evidence-based care that can be provided to you based on the disease process you have. And we're going to take breast cancer. So they're going to make sure that you get the top notch. They're going to make sure that, uh, number one, that you get that mammogram. Number two, if something is found on that mammogram, what is the next best step for you based on your individual need? That's right. They also will know because they've worked with the various insurance providers, they already know what the insurance providers will and will not cover. They all so know it's like, okay, I've got to find an alternative form of payment for this because this patient maybe is not covered or does not have insurance at all. So they're used to working with various pharmaceutical companies, uh, various foundations in order to make sure that person gets the care. So it's like, Uh, you've decided you want that dress or that suit uh, for that event you're going to. So you walk through that door and they're going to get you started. Okay, the next step is, okay, all right, you see something you want. Okay, I don't know if I can pay for it or not. It's like, okay, do I use the MasterCard, the Visa, or do I have to put it in the layaway? The same thing as uh, this is, I'm trying to help you understand the pathway. Right. You know, the medical pathway is kind of that that same thing. You got to make that you kind of make that decision. And you've got that sales clerk that says, well, you know, if you join our rewards program, we can get you 10, you know, 10 percent <laughs> off. Well, it's a great analogy, clinical, Carla. <laughs> in, your, in the clinical pathway, that's when that navigator says, OK, well, maybe your insurance doesn't pay for that, but we've got this clinical trial over here that can help you. This is new and this, you know, this has been proven to kind of work with you, you know, kind of let's, you know, let's give that a try and we're going to explain everything. So kind of think of uh, 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 care pathways, almost like that shopping pathway. You've got somebody to lead you all the way to come to that best conclusion. So at the end that you look and that you feel your best, you know, at the very end. You're not in it alone. You got somebody to help you walk that path and find what's uh, best best for you. And the thing about it is, you are the person that's in control. You are in the driver's seat. You are helping make that decision all along the way. Your input is so important. And they take in consideration your input and also uh, will bring your family. You help decide who all is on your team, you know, you, you, your, your, your care plan team. And um, so uh, that that's just a, you know, just a quick and dirty way of saying <laughs> kind of how the pathway, you know, think about if you're going to buy that special dress or that, that special suit, there's somebody there all along the way with the end goal is that you come out as whole, safe, healthy, happy, and pretty or as handsome as humanly possible. That's, that, that's the easiest way to say, to look at the pathway. You know, you're, you're, you're starting out, you're in control you're di- driving the car and we're trying to all get to uh, uh, to the end, a happy ending. That's yeah. right. Well, Carla, I, I love that analogy. I've um, I've used a similar analogy like the Sherpa where, you know, there are people that can 
um, you know, go along this journey sometimes. And most of the time, it's not a chosen journey. It's a journey that we're on, though, uh, that will help, you know, carry, uh, uh, lighten the load and, and carry some of the burden. But at the same time, it's it's up to the individual to actually make that journey. And, and uh, but I do, I do love the analogy of uh, finding a snazzy dress and looking the best that we can at the end of it. So yep. <laughs> um, that's a, it's a great, great way to put it. Um, thank you so much for being on the on the podcast. I mean, as always, it's just a, such a joy to speak with you. Um, and let me ask: Are there are there any final remarks or a call to action that you would like to share? I guess this my call to action is for groups across uh, the United States to understand work together. You know, put this. I can do it myself, and I want to be the top dog. Uh, uh-uh, forget that. Working together is how you really get things accomplished. And also for the healthcare providers, take care of yourself. You know, how can you care for others if you're not taking care of yourself? You got to take a little time for yourself. Not only are we asking our patients to get their preventive care, caregiver, uh, healthcare uh, providers and caregivers need to take time to take care of themselves. And also take a little time to, you know, to decompress, you know, get to a massage, you know, get to a, a good, a good foot, a foot rub, you know, just, just, just exhale, you know, just exhale, That's relax, right. because when you relax, take care of yourself, you can take care of others uh, better, so. Uh, I think that's I think my that's spiel it. and that's my call <laughs> to action. Absolutely love it. Yeah. I think that the self-care in itself is a very selfless act, right? Because for yes. particularly for the for the those who are in the service um kind of area, that's how you can serve even more. So um, uh, Carla, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show and what a kickoff for this mini series sponsored by West Cancer Clinic. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. You're so Alrighty. welcome.